0: mindset. The gospel of peace is the raw material of readiness. God has this never-ending, overwhelming, reckless love that is pursuing you harder than ever Everything that you've ever experienced in your life Jesus through what he did on the cross Wants to crush Satan under your feet what I would want to do is to say to some men of God in this room Would you start taking some swift stomps on his head? Everybody in your home needs to have their shoes on but yours need to be the sharpest It will be the power of him living in you But it will be your muscles, your tissue, your sinew, your joints, you actually doing the stomping on him, okay? There is never more of an opportune time for us to fasten our feet with this gospel of peace and to make war against the dark forces in our lives. up to be in the house of the Lord. Come on. Who's fired up? Yeah. Hey, keep it going. Welcome all the campuses. We want to welcome Garner over there in the Water Tower town, Columbia, Kenya, North Durham, North Raleigh, Coffee House, online. Keep it going. Hillsboro, Sanford, and the Durham campus. Welcome everybody. Welcome them all. To the movement, we are thrilled that you are here today. Hey, I want to just give you a little heads up because I always think this is important information. Anytime we get to celebrate uh, communion or baptism, it's sacred. Sacraments of the church, right? And so a week from today, I've always thought that Thanksgiving Sunday is a wonderful day to celebrate. Holy Communion. So we are celebrating Holy Communion next Sunday. If you're traveling, you can, you can check us out online, Facebook Live, whatever. But if you are home, my guess is that you will have eaten way too much food. Get off your rear end. Come on into church and let's have Holy Communion together next weekend. Amen? Yeah. yeah. And we're going to be um, we're going to continue. It'll be the battle ready. We'll be continuing right in this series, which you folks have been thoroughly, thoroughly uh, dialed into. Hey, speaking about Thanksgiving, um, I, I wanted to share with you my heart today just before we get into the message. Um, if you've been here a while, you know I do this from time to time and, and it's never forced because it's just my heart for you. I, I, I love this church. I love this church so dearly. And uh, some of you know this, but others of you don't. Uh, I have been working on a book for the last 18 months and uh, it's with the same publisher that I did my last book with and they are driving me Hard, And I've got a December 1 deadline, so I hope you will pray for me. They basically let me know recently, if you don't get it made, turned in by this deadline, we're, we'll take that advance check back, and the contract is null and void. And so I'm like, oh, you got my attention. Um, the, the book is titled Wrecked and Redeemed. Yeah. Wrecked and Redeemed. And here's the subtitle. Here's the subtitle. How God Unleashes His Church. How God Unleashes His Church. And uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to read uh, just a, a paragraph from my acknowledgements. Uh, you know, all books have acknowledgements or dedications. I wanna read this to you. This is right in the front cover of the book, one of the first things you get to. This work would not be possible if it were not for the beautiful people of New Hope Church. You are the immediate context for this book and the direct result and manifestation of God's grace in my life. Let me be clear. You are the subtitle of this book. That is, you are the story. You are the story of how God unleashes his church. To all of you at all of our campuses, thank you. Thank you for joining me on this journey of new hope. Thank you for following the Lord so faithfully. And most of all, don't don't miss this, thank you for being a community where prodigals are not only welcomed home, but they are truly embraced and loved with the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Regardless of skin color, socioeconomic levels, political affiliation, or what they did last night. You, you, and all of our campuses, you help me understand why and how the church truly represents the body of Christ in the world. Thank you, church. Thank you. Thank you. I know because I'm talking about writing another book, and I know that when you get around authors, you tend to you tend to like put us up on a pedestal. So can I tell a quick story that will take me off the pedestal? Because I'm just like you guys. I listen, I I put my pants on the same way all of you do. A couple weeks ago, I'm walking through an airport and I'm talking on the phone and I had to catch a flight, but I had to use the bathroom. So I ran into the bathroom and I didn't even I didn't even worry about whether there was urinals over there or whatever. I ran into the bathroom and I went into a stall. And I'm using the bathroom like any old man would do, standing up, if you will. And at that point in time, as I'm talking on the phone and using the bathroom, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. No, I didn't drop my phone in the toilet. That's where most of you were. It's far worse than that. Oh, yeah. I'm talking on the phone and using the bathroom when all of a sudden I hear from the stall beside me, sir. The third time, she finally got my attention. I'm like, what? She goes, sir, you're in the women's bathroom. (laughs) Church, (laughs) I didn't know what to do. (laughs) I, I didn't know whether to run or stay. So I ran out and I yelled out on the way out, I'm sorry. So dude, listen. I'm a goober, man. I walked into a women's bathroom, right? And after I ran out, about five minutes later, I'm getting to the gate. I wish I had said this, I'm sorry, but I wish I'd have added this on, but I'm from North Carolina and it doesn't matter. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. I'm such, I felt like the biggest loser for days, man. Has anybody else ever done that? Have you ever walked in the wrong bathroom? It's not fun, man. All right, let's go get this today. Remember, I've been telling you throughout the series there's not just six pieces of armor, there's seven. And we've traditionally been told that there's six, but there are seven, and the seventh piece is prayer. And I believe one of the reasons why we are experiencing such favor and anointing and blessings in the life of our church right now is because we're praying, maybe unlike ever before, or at least we're praying more than we have since we started this thing 15 years ago. And I just wanna remind you that prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is where the battle takes place. And so if you're gonna unleash all of these pieces of armor and be the warrior that God has called you to be, then we have to be a praying people. Can I get an amen? amen? Prayer is where the battle takes place. And I've been asking you, and I will probably say this every single Sunday until the series is done. Pray with me at 1.14 p.m. If you can't pray at 1.14 p.m., pray at 1.14 a.m. Acts 1.14 says they pray together constantly. So let us continue to pray together. Everybody say, what's up, Maximus? <laughs> Maximus, man, he is looking like one bad dude. If you're new here, we're in a series from Ephesians 6. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, where we are studying the armor of God. And this brother is Maximus, and he is looking bad. He's got the belt of truth, which was our first week. He's got the breastplate of righteousness. He's got the shoes of peace. And today we're going to talk about the shield of faith. The shield of faith, Ephesians 6 10 through 20. Will you pray with me? Father, um, we humble ourselves before the authority of your word. We ask you to speak, Lord, for we are listening. And Father, I pray, even on the front end today, that we are not just hearers of the word, but we are actually doers of the word. Father, would you take our minds and think through them? Would you take our hearts and fill with them? Lord Jesus, I pray, as I pray every single Sunday, that you would take my lips and speak through them. For if you do not speak today, Lord God, then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, King of Kings, warrior of all warriors, the people of God set together, amen Amen and amen. Ephesians six, here we go. Finally, finally be what church? And after you have done everything to stand, stand a little more with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Everybody say peace. Hey, isn't it, isn't it ironic? I didn't teach last week. Pastor Trent did a phenomenal job. But isn't it interesting, is it not, that in this, in this series where the Bible is talking about a warrior and suiting up for armor and battle, isn't it fascinating that the Bible says, let us never forget that we should be a people of peace? Yes. Did you hear that? Yes. Let the church always remember that we should pray for peace. Yes. And let us be a peaceable people. In addition to all of this, read this out with me from the top. Ready, go. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, what I want you to... To note on the front end, even before I start talking about this awesome piece of armor, the shield of faith, I want you to note this. And if you want to learn the Bible and study the Bible, you ought to take notes on this. You ought to take it in the margins of your Bible, if you got an old school Bible, or on your tablets, or your phone, or in your teaching notes. I want you to notice that in verse 16, the apostle Paul makes a fundamental shift in his language. Up until this point, he's been talking about armor that you wear, that you wear throughout the day. You put on the belt of truth. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You put on uh, the shoes of peace. You wear these all day long. But in verse 16, don't miss this, in verse 16, Paul fundamentally switches his verb use from put on to take up. Put on to what? So there's a tire and there's there's armor that you put on and you wear it all day long. There are other pieces of armor, and this is where Paul is going in the rest of the passage, by the way. There are other pieces of armor that you take up in the midst of the battle. A soldier would not walk around with a shield up all day long. You take up the shield when the enemy starts to attack you. You take up the shield when you walk out of your house and you go into the battlefield. You take up the shield when you're working in that cubicle beside that person who gets on your last nerves and they come rolling on up in there. You take up the shield. It's very different. Paul shifts here. It's very, very fascinating. I want to talk to you today about faith. Everybody say faith. 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 Very popular word, right? We all know it. But I wanna go ahead and tell you on the front end that I believe one of the gravest mistakes in the history of Christendom is that we have sold faith short. We we have misunderstood faith as it is taught in the Bible. Again, I hope you take notes on this stuff because this is really good stuff. The word faith in the New Testament is pistis. That's how it's pronounced, pistis. And pistis appears 240 times in the New Testament. Come on, church. If something shows up 240 times just in the New Testament, you think it's pretty important? Incredibly important. Watch this. Faith, if I were to give you a definition of faith, it is God's divine persuasion. So I could stop right there and teach a message, but I won't. But I would just say this. It's a gift from God. It's God's divine persuasion. It is a gift from God. So maybe you've never thought about this before, but even the faith that you have is a gift from God. God gives you faith, okay? Some people don't tap into it, but you're here. And the truth is, most of you have probably tapped into faith. So it's God's divine persuasion, a gift from God, persuading one to, what's this, what's this word very key? To what? Trust, Trust God for forgiveness of sins and abundant life on earth and in heaven. So it's a gift from God. Once we have faith, we have to exercise our faith and we have to trust God. And to the extent to which we trust God, it is the extent to which we experience the abundant life that God has called us to tap into on earth as it is in heaven. The problem with many folks in Christianity is that they've received Christ, but their lives are still miserable. And you're like, whoo, he's been reading my mail. (laughs) They, They experience salvation, which we see a lot of those around here all the time. But the problem is that some people stop right there. They don't learn to appropriate faith in their lives. And I guess you know this, maybe you've never heard a preacher say this. But you can be a Christian and still have a very jacked up life. Uh, you, you can be, I've seen Christians accept Christ and, and, and supposedly they're a Christian for 40, 50, 60 years and they're still as jacked up as they were when they received Him when they were a teenager. Are you with me? There are a lot of Christians who stand around and they sing just as I am while they stay just as they are. And and what Paul is saying here is, no, 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 no. That is a shallow, short understanding of faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we are saved by faith through grace. Yes, you can be saved, and yes, you can be saved, and your home can be in heaven, but you can be one jacked-up individual. Unless, unless you learn to exercise faith, unless you learn to stretch yourself and experience faith. This is how the Bible puts faith. Let me give you a biblical definition. Let's read this out loud. You guys are are with me today. Ready? Go. Faith is being sure of what we, and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we what? And certain of what we do not see. Hey, side note. Faith is not determined by your senses. Hello. A.W. Tozer put it like this. Great quote. Any faith that must be supported by evidence of the five senses, he didn't say five, but I did, five senses is not real faith. Anyone, any faith that must be supported by evidence of the senses is not real faith. And by the way, another side note, faith has nothing to do with your feelings. Your feelings fluctuate up and down, more so than others, right? Depends on who you are. But If your faith is dependent upon your feelings, you are never gonna tap in to being a warrior who is ready to live the one and only life that God has destined you to live. This is Hebrews 11, where I said, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. If you keep reading in in Hebrews, and I hope you will, Hebrews, Hebrews 11. If you keep reading that chapter, for those of you who know the Bible, you know this, it lists a long list of the great, saints in the Bible. You might call this the the hero's hall of faith. Hebrews 11, go read it later. I want you to understand something about the, the heroes of the faith that we see in the Bible. All of them had issues just like you and me. All of them had struggles just like you and I do. Having faith does not mean you become perfect. In fact, if we were to have those folks in Hebrews 11 lined up here today and they were to introduce themselves, it would sound like they all came from a recovery group. No, I'm not making this up. Like, let me give you a few examples. Hi, my name is Noah, and I'm a drunk. It's in the Bible. Hi, my name is Abraham. I'm a coward and a liar. I told a lie to put my wife's life at risk just to save my own skin. Hi, my name is Aaron. I'm a religious leader, but I cave into peer pressure. My name is Miriam. I'm jealous of my little brother Moses, and I'm a racist. I'm upset about his interracial marriage. Hey, my name is Naomi, and I'm bitter. My name is Samson, and I struggle with lust. My name is David. I'm an adulterer and a murderer. (laughs) My name is Thomas. I struggle with doubts. My name is Peter. And I let my best friend down when he needed me the most. My name is Timothy. And I struggle with paralyzing fears and insecurities. Can you relate? My name is Paul. Paul, the one who wrote Ephesians. My name is Paul. And I used to kill Christians. don't miss what I'm about to say to you. If that is their story, how in the world could they be listed in the Bible under the great hall of faith, fame chapter, if you will? How in the world does that work out? Here it is, don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss it. They took the faith that they had and they put action to it. They weren't perfect. Neither are you and neither am I and we never will be. But they took the faith that they had and they put sweat equity to it. They worked at their faith. They weren't afraid to put action with their faith. If you go read your Bible at the the heading of my Hebrews chapter, here's what it's titled, Faith in Action. In other words, they might have had junk in their trunk like you do, but they weren't afraid to step out and do something great for God. In fact, they understood this great verse of Scripture. Come on out loud, balcony, let me hear you with us. Ready, go. Faith without works is, is one more time. Faith, faith without is what? Is they understood that true faith requires that we start to move forward in the direction that we believe by faith, that we sense by faith, God is calling us to move. If you've been paying close attention to this series, you're starting to pick up on this repetitive theme. Battle ready warriors have a bias to action. Battle ready warriors are not complacent. Battle ready warriors are not lethargic. Battle-ready warriors are not timid, frightful, scared people to even do anything. They strengthen their spine, and as God leads, they step out to do great things for God. They're always, always, always moving forward. Hey, side note. (laughs) Have you you thought about this? I thought about this this week. There's no armor on his backside. There's... There's nothing back here. I think that's a profound nugget from God's word on high. You need the armor on the front side if you're gonna be a battle warrior because you're going to always be moving where? Forward in action to do great things things for God. And when you fall short as we do, you'll run back to God because all warriors run back to God in prayer. You'll confess your sin, you'll repent of your sin, you'll get up, you'll dust yourself off, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will move forward to do great things for God. Now the shield the shield was one of the most obvious pieces of armor on the soldier. The shield was about two feet wide. It was about four feet tall. The shield would cover a soldier standing up or, you know, kind of in a in a battle stance. It would cover the soldier from about the neck to the knee or the neck to the thigh. But usually it was neck to the knee. The soldiers, when they would go into battle, when it got tense and they didn't put it on, they did what? They took it up. They would, they would crouch down with the shield in front of them. And because the shield was two feet wide and four feet tall, those of you who've, who've been in the military, and you've been in battles before, you, could, you can really appreciate the value of this. My, my partner's shield, my fellow soldier's shield would not only protect me, it would protect the soldier beside me. And as we move forward in battle, we have the shield in front of us. At that day and age, the arrows would come flying toward the people from the enemy lines. Which is why the Bible says that they were flaming arrows and the shield will extinguish the flaming arrows. They would take the shields, two by four, and they would dip them in water. So that as they're moving forward in battle, my shield is covering yours and, and you're covering mine. When the enemy started flinging arrows at us, often flaming arrows, we lift up our shields. It's called, it's called the turtle formation. We lift up our shields like a, like a shell of a turtle and we put the shields over our heads and the flaming arrows that would come in flaming would often ideally hit the shield, which was wet and would extinguish the flaming arrows, and we then became one impenetrable force to be reckoned with. I don't know how good I'm doing describing it to you, but let me show you a real short video clip because sometimes a word, a picture is a thousand words. It's a short clip, very, very short. Check this out from the movie, Troy. Maybe you saw this. It's a very abrupt ending. (laughs) And you might imagine why. It was quite graphic what happened after that. One singular, impenetrable force, we are as the body of Christ. Which by the way, it's not in my notes. It just gives me a chance to say it. If you're trying to do Christianity on your own, trouble is ahead for you. You can't, Christianity is not a solo sport. There will come a day when the bottom will fall out for you. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, it rains on the just and the unjust. Life might be really good for you right now, but there will come a day when you'll get the prognosis or a loved one will get the prognosis or a spouse will walk out on you or a child will go prodigal or as a brother that I know very, very well gets a pink slip and, No longer employed after 28 years of service. When that happens, who are you in life with? Who do you have surrounding you so that they can pray for you, so that they can support you? And again, it's not in here, but I just think I need to go ahead and say listen, if you're not in a life group at New Hope Church, you're asking for trouble. This is why we talk about life groups, life groups, life groups. And this is not a life group Sunday, but if you're not in a life group and you wanna be in a life group, or if you're not serving, you're not on a serving team who serves around here on Sundays, then take out your connect card right now or anytime between now and the the offering later and just mark on there, I need community or I wanna be in a serving team or a life group and we'll get in touch with you because the day will come when you will need community. Do you have folks in your life who can support you, who can pray for you, who can bless you when the times get tough and unfortunately they will? We must stand together. We must have one another's back. What is God? All of this forces me to ask you this question. What is God calling you to do that you've been afraid to do? What has God called you to step out in faith? And you know God's called you that, but you can't quite muster the courage. You're, you're frozen, you're, you're paralyzed. Paralysis by analysis. Some of you just analyze things over and over and over. And God's saying, no, 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 you need to get out of the boat. And some of you are here and you wanna walk on water, but you'll never walk on water if you don't get out of the boat and take a step forward. Some of you are fearful. What are you fearful of? What's God called you to do? And maybe today would be the day that you say, you know what, enough stalling, enough analyzing, enough, I am ready to move forward. For God does not give us a spirit of what? If you're fearful, listen, that does not come from God. If you're fearful, that comes from Satan. God does not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but God gives us what? What? And... From the top, ready, to go. For God does not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Listen, if you are a fearful person, my guess would be that you have not learned to rightfully fear God. You might say, what do you mean by that? I've learned in my life that if I fear God in a healthy way, I realize the church has often taught, to, taught people how to fear God in an unhealthy way. But if you learn to fear God in a healthy, rightful way, you'll end up fearing nothing else in life, including death. But if you don't rightfully and in a healthy way fear God, you will actually end up fearing all the other things in this world. And Satan wants you to be wrapped up in fear and timidity what do you fear? How do you need to step out? Um, I can remember like it was yesterday, my wife who is here. We had three kids under three years old back then. Three, God help us. How did we ever make it? Three under three And God tapped me on the shoulder one day. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting outside at a picnic table watching the sunset. And God tapped me on the shoulder and God said, you know, I'm really tired of you talking about how the church can do this and the church needs to do that. And the church should do this and the church should do that. And the Holy Spirit said, it's time for you to go start a church. I said, what you talking about? (laughs) And God led me in a season of prayer and, and and conferring with other Christians. You should talk to other wise people before you make really big decisions. But I st- And sure enough, over the course of the next few months, God made it clear to my wife and I that we were going to start New Hope Church. And at that point in time, three kids under three, and we have a good income. We're not, we're not wealthy by any means, but we have a good income. And I knew that I was gonna start in New Hope Church, and not only did I know that I needed to start in New Hope Church, I realized that I had a lot to learn, as I still do today, so I applied to the Beeson program, which is a doctoral program up in Kentucky at Asbury Theological Seminary. I got in, thanks be to God, and we loaded up our family of five. Three kids Under three, in a U-Haul, and a minivan. I'm driving the U-Haul. Amy Liz, driving the minivan with our three kids in the back. I'm shaking like a leaf on a tree. Literally, I'm shaking as I'm riding down the road because we know that God has called us to go do this program, then come off this program and start the church. But what it would mean is that we would have no income, no church to serve, very little savings at that point in time. I was, I was 27 and we drove to Kentucky with nothing. Church, for those years in Kentucky, we were not poor, we were poe. <laughs> y'all, y'all, know, y'all know the difference? Poor is one thing. We were poe. Church, this is, going to, this is going to bless some of you. Like, like we were on WIC. Do you know what WIC is? We were on WIC, a governmental program where we got eggs and cheese and, and milk. And because we had three kids, we got a lot of it. I was so daggum sick of eggs and cheese <laughs> and milk. We, we, we got on food stamps. And here's what I came to realize. That when you trust God and you step out in faith, and you move toward what you believe he has called you to do. You might be out on the limb, and you might be shaken like a leaf, but if you ever realize that the fruit is out on the limb, beloved? And once you get out there, God will meet you there. God will bless your life, meet your needs. In other words, the shield, when you step out in faith, that is when God lifts up the shield, and you are divinely protected. Come, oh my Lord. The shield, the shield is your faith. And when you exercise your faith, that's when God steps in and puts a shield above you and around you and protects your life. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather live with a little and have God protecting me all around than to live with a lot and God be nowhere to found. It's faith. It's faith. I love how Tony Evans put it. Dr. Tony Evans. I, I put, this is not Tony, this is Benji. So this is not nearly as good. I'm a little off on my slides. If God has called you do it, he will get you through it. If God has called you to it, he will what? You just gotta discern if it's, if it's God. And once it's God, come on, you gotta step out. Hopefully the next one is Dr. Tony Evans. Yeah, I love this quote. This is awesome. Faith is acting like it is so, even when it is not so, so that it might be so, simply because God said so. That's good. That's good. Come on, I know it's it's deep and it's nuanced, and you might need to read it a few times. Read it out loud with me. I want this to sink in deep into the water table of your soul. Ready, go. Faith is acting like it is so, even when it's not so, so that it might be so, simply because God, oh my, oh my. So what do you need to do? Like, for real, what do you need to do What has God been calling you to do and you have not strengthened your spine, prayed up some courage, and stepped out even when you're shaking like a leaf on a tree? Some of you are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Maybe it's time you start exercising your faith. What's he calling you to do? I don't know, but you do. I know what he's calling me to do. You pray for me that I'll do it and I'll pray for you. Maybe he's calling you to write that book. I guarantee you there's some amazing authors in this church at any of our campuses that haven't even put pen to paper yet. Hey, you'll never write it if you don't sit down and start the first word. Maybe maybe he's calling you to go to that job interview. Maybe he's calling you to go back to school. You never finished or you never went as far as you wanted to or back then you did go as far as you want to, but now God's calling you to something else. Maybe you need to go back to school. Maybe you need to call that estranged parent. Oh, how many times I've done that. Often it's not received well. But our job is not to manufacture how people respond to us. Our job is to simply step out in faith and act on it. Maybe, I don't know, maybe God's been calling you to extend that invitation to that person at work or in your neighborhood or in your apartment complex to come to church with you. And you know it every time you're around them and every time you coward out. Maybe God's calling you to write that letter of forgiveness. Like, like not asking them to forgive you, but you writing them to say, I forgive you. You being proactive. Maybe it's having the courage to say no the next time he or she says let's have sex and you know you know that sex is reserved in the Bible for a monogamous marriage between a man and a woman you know it but you cave in every time and maybe the best thing you could say to her dude sometimes just the other way Maybe the best thing you could say to her is no. Been there, done that. I'm saving myself. Or you say to him, forget about it. Better put a ring on it. And he might hound you and he might go negative and he might leave you for a little while. But ladies, let me tell you something about a godly man. Let me tell you something about a man. A godly man will want a woman who will wait. A godly man will want a woman who is going to save herself for marriage. Huh. <laughs> Talking about a ring. Maybe, dude, you need to put a ring on it. Maybe you've been dating her for 15 years. 15 years. I don't know. Might be time, man. Might You know, it, it might be time. Or maybe you need to move on. Maybe he's calling you to start that business. Maybe he's calling you to go on a missions trip. I don't know what he's calling you to do. I know what he's calling me to do. My question to you is, what are you waiting on? Put on the armor of God. Take up the shield of faith and move forward. If you aim for nothing in life, beloved, you're gonna hit it 100% of the time. Just move in the direction of the bullseye and trust God to help you get there. 1996, right before we went to Kentucky, Amy Lynn. 1996, and um, it was the Olympics. I don't know about you, but I love the Olympics. And the Olympics rolled around, and it still to this day, I believe, it's one of the most epic moments in Olympic history. 1996, Carrie Strug. Maybe you remember Little Kerry. Maybe a picture. Maybe a picture. Well, Kerry Strug. Look at this right. Here. Let me show you a picture of Kerry. She is, remember her? Do you remember her? It's towards the end of the Olympics. America is down. I I think we're in second or third place. I think Romania is slated to win it at this point in time. Carrie is one of the final ones to to go at this particular meet. And she runs down, you know, you run down the long aisle and then you you vault on the horse, if you will, and you throw yourself up and you do flips and twists and all that kind of stuff. She had to have a 9.2 for the Americans to win. She goes the first time, she runs down, she hits it, she twists, she twirls, she flips, and she lands. And when she lands, she lands wrong on her ankle. And she fractures her ankle. Do you remember it? It was epic. And the whole crowd just went silent. The Americans, you could tell, were like, oh, no, we are done. And At that point in time, her coach, Bella Karoi, you might remember that, one of the all-time best gymnast coaches in the history of Olympics. He's off to the side. He can't run to her and rescue her. So Coach Bella is over there and he sees the pain that she's going through. And he says, Carrie, the camera kind of gets on him. Carrie, look at me. Look at me. I realize you're hurting. I realize you're in pain, Carrie. But look at me, Carrie. She turned, look at me, Carrie. You can do this. You can do this. And maybe you remember Carrie, she she wobbles. She, She can't even stand up on two legs. She wobbles back down the track. She's standing up. And one last time, Coach Bella Carolli looks at her and says, Carrie, look at me. Carrie looked over at him, ankle fractured. She takes off. She presses through the pain. She runs down. She hits the jump. She hits the horse. She does the flip and the twist, and she lands. She in. bam, she nailed it. Remember that? She nailed it. She, she lifts up. like She's just wincing, and the pain is all over her face. Nine point whatever. The United States of America won gold. Here she is going off, and here's, look at the the gold medal around her waist. Some of you are here. Come on, come on, come on. God's calling you to step out. And what you need to know is it's time you get your eyes off your fear it's time you get your eyes off your timidity. It's time you stop telling God how big your problems are. And it's time you start telling your problems how big your God is. It's time you look God in the face. It's time you fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of your faith, who sat before him, endured the cross. And it's time you dig deep. You determine... That through pain, through loneliness, through isolation, through criticism, through whatever, you're going to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and you're going to press through and you're going to win the prize, the life for which God has destined you. It's time that you tell Satan, get The behind me, my eyes are on God and I will not be denied. Last, Last thing, last thing, but oh my Lord, don't miss it. Take faith seriously, church, as God defines it. Not as you define it. Take faith seriously as God defines it and you will experience victory like only God can give it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen and amen and amen.